0: Chapter 15 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Annie Sleeveston. Chapter 15 Erika's betrothal to Lord Langley had produced a sensation in society, but it had been regarded as a very sensible arrangement. The girl had been envied, and all had declared that her ambition had achieved its aim in a marriage with an English peer. Malice had not been silent. She had been credited with heartlessness, but then she had done vastly well for herself the announcement that the engagement was dissolved gave rise to all sorts of reports no one knew the real reason of the breach and had it been known it would not have been credited the belief steadily gained ground that lord langley had been the first to withdraw dismayed by the discovery of arica's objectionable relative strenczewski and shocked by the girl's heartless treatment of him Countess Brock furnished the material for this report, the Princess Dorothea detailed it with various additions, and in the eyes of Berlin society, Erika was nothing more than an ambitious blunderer who had experienced a tremendous rebuff. It was edifying to hear Dorothea descant upon this theme, winding up her remarks with, I do not pity Erika, I never liked her, but poor old Countess Landoff she has always been one of aunt Broke's friends there had been an apparent change in the princess dorothea from the day when she had publicly insulted goswin Fonsito in charltenburg avenue the story had been told greatly to her discredit and not only had her cousin prince helmy forsworn his allegiance to her but the other men who had been present at that memorable interview had since held aloof from her she found herself compelled to attract a fresh circle of admirers, which she did at the sacrifice of every remnant of good taste which she yet possessed. After this, for a while, she pursued her madly gay career, but for a year past, there had been a change. The number of her admirers had greatly diminished, was reduced indeed to a Prince Orbanov, who was now her shadow. She boasted of her good resolutions, went to church every Sunday, was shocked at the women who read French novels, and was altogether rather a prudish character. Society held itself on the defensive and did not put much faith in her boasted virtue. But when she culminated Erika, society believed her. At least this was the case with the society of envious young beauties whom she met every Friday at the Wicked Fairies. Where they made clothes for the poor. When, late in the autumn, the Landoffs returned to Berlin, supposing that the little episode of Erika's betrothal was already forgotten by society, they were met on all sides by a malicious show of sympathy. Erika regarded all this with utter indifference and withdrew from all gaiety as far as she could, but the old countess fretted and fumed with indignation. She could not comprehend why all the world could not view Erika from her own point of view, and her exaggerated defence of the girl contributed to make Erika's position still more disagreeable. Moreover, age was beginning to cast its first shadows over the countess' clear mind. She was especially annoyed, also by Goswin's holding aloof. He had replied courteously, but with extreme reserve, to the countess's letter informing him, not without exultation, of the breaking of Erika's engagement. This was as it should be, but when the answer to a second letter written much later was quite as reserved, the old countess was vexed and impatient. Erika insisted upon reading this second epistle herself. Her hands trembled as she held it, and when she had finished it, She laid it on the table without a word and left the room as pale as ashes. To the grandmother, whose heart was filled with tenderness, all the more intense because it had been first aroused in her old age, her granddaughter's evident pain was intolerable. After a while, she went to her in her room. The girl was sitting at the window, erect and pale. She had a book in her hand, and the countess observed that she held it upside down. she said tenderly laying her hand on the girl's shoulder i only wanted to tell you erika arose cold and courteous you wanted to tell me what she asked as she laid aside her book that that erika's dry manner embarrassed her a little but after a pause she went on i wanted to tell you not to take any fancies into your head with regard to goswin fancies of what kind Erika asked calmly, becoming absorbed in the contemplation of her almond-shaped nails. You would do him great injustice by supposing that his regard for you is one with less than it ever was. Indeed, I should do him injustice? Erika questioned in the same unnaturally quiet tone. I think not. It is not my fashion to deceive myself. I know perfectly well that, that I have sunk in Goswin's esteem. It is a very unpleasant conviction, I confess. And to be frank, I would rather you did not mention the subject again. But Erika, if you would only listen, the old countess persisted. He adores you. His pride alone keeps him from you. You are too wealthy. Your social position is too brilliant. Erika waved aside this explanation of affairs. Say no more, she cried. I know what I know. But you must not waste your pity upon me. My vanity is wounded, not my heart. I value Goswin highly, and it troubles me that he no longer admires me as he did. But I assure you, I have not the slightest desire to marry him. I pray you to believe this. At least it may prevent you, perhaps, from throwing me at his head a second time, without my knowledge. If you do it, I declare to you I will reject him. As she uttered the last words, the girl's self command forsook her. Her voice had a hard, metallic ring in it, and her eyes flashed angrily. Her grandmother turned and left the room with bowed head. Scarcely had the sound of her footsteps died away when Erika locked her door, threw herself upon her bed, buried her face in the pillows, and burst into tears. What she had declared to her grandmother was in a measure true. She herself supposed it to be entirely true. She really had no wish to marry, and there was in her heart no trace of passionate sentiment for Goswin. But she was bruised and sore, and she longed for the tender sympathy he had always shown her. At times, she would fain have fled to him from the cold judgment and scrutiny of the word. After she had relieved herself by tears, she understood herself more clearly. Sitting on the edge of her bed, her handkerchief crushed into a ball in her hand, she said half aloud, I have lied to my grandmother. If he had come, I would have married him, yes, without loving him. But it would have been wrong. No one has a right to marry such a man as Goswin out of sheer despair because one does not know in what direction to throw away one's life. But why think of it? He does not care for me. Why? Why did my grandmother write to him? I cannot bear it. End of chapter 15